Hello and welcome to episode 30, the real episode 30 of Crew Shaken, a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast recorded in and around Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the United States of America. I'm your host, Tim, and joining me as always this time we have Carlo. How's it going, Carlo? Good. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm, I'm sort of semi-battening down the hatches, given the fact that the COVID-19 outbreak is spreading and everyone is sort of hoarding toilet paper and uh, Wonder Bread and uh, Clorox <laughs> products. The the, uh, the cleaning aisle at the Acme right around the corner from my house, which is Acme is a supermarket, uh, the cleaning aisle of that Acme looks like a tornado has hit it. There is just no product on the shelves and there are little bits of paper and all manner of things just kind of strewn about. It's uh, really chaotic. Every time I walk by, that for the last couple of days, the parking lot has been chock full of people preparing to be home for weeks at a time, which is really, really interesting. I've never seen anything quite like it. It's really bizarre to see it that way. Um, one of my coworkers was showing me pictures of Costco's freezer aisle completely wiped out. Oh, my God. It's just like... <laughs> How does that even happen? Oh man? my god! The freezer. So this may be the last episode of. Free this might be the last. On how things go. <laughs> I hope it's a good one. <laughs> so for the first time ever, um, my wife and I are at the supermarket on uh, Monday, and uh, she says we should buy some frozen vegetables. And we never ever buy frozen vegetables. I haven't had a frozen vegetable since I was a kid. And yeah. she's like, you know, just in case. <laughs> Just in case. I was like, what, in case we give each other black eyes so we could put ice on them or something? It was crazy. <laughs> now, you, I know you hunt a lot. Do you have a lot of venison? Yes. The yes. There? There's is a lot of – yeah, there, there's a good stock of meat in the basement, which is nice. So we're, we're good on that front. Um, we bought a bag of potatoes and a bag of apples and a bunch of frozen vegetables and a couple of chocolate bars and a lot of kitty litter. So I think we're all good. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, I know yeah. uh, chocolate bars are a good thing. You know, you need to keep that morale up. So. Keep the morale going. Get a little, you know, you have a square, you have a smile. It's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, upsides to being semi-quarantined in a city like Philadelphia is that we could potentially get a lot of hobby progress done. You know, uh, working working from home for a lot of folks means there's an opportunity to, uh, you know, do a lot of other things in addition to uh, remaining productive at work. Um, with that in mind, why don't we fire off the show with some hobby progress? Carlo, what have you been up to? Uh, one of the major projects I've been working on in the last couple of weeks um, involved crafting a bunch of Nova L's for our local um, gaming store, Terrain, so that we can use them for tournaments. And since we're so close to Nova, we want to run RTTs as if they were like a Nova prep. Mm. Almost. Smart. How did you go about building them? Um, it's actually uh, There's actually a template online that one of our teammates leo found that's put out by the guys who make terrain for nova and um basically involves getting those four by four sheets of contractor foam you know or however if you could buy the four by eight sheet um even better but um i got a two by two sheets i'm sorry i picked up a bunch of two by two sheets because i go in my car nicely and then um some birch plywood uh now they use mdf at Nova, um, which I could see why, because it doesn't really warp as easily as plywood does. But um, I was just like kind of running through the store very quickly, so I just picked up two two by two sheets of birch plywood, and then we made um, eight or four sets of L's, so eight Nova L's out of that. So each, uh, I think each sheet, I think I bought four sheets, so each sheet made a set. 
so I, uh, two sheets of birch plywood gave me eight bases, and then each sheet of two by two foam made two Nova L's. So we ended up with eight altogether. Two per table, so you have four tables covered there. Correct, and then everybody on the team was supposed to make one set, so we ended up with uh, pretty much enough for the tournament. Um, I think because Sasha brought in a few, not everyone got theirs done on time, okay. so a few of the members brought in a couple more, so it ended up being fine. Uh, the I worked on these four with Grant and Sasha, and actually Ian had come over too and was helping us out, so it was a good kind of uh, terrain building party you know oh, awesome. so good how did you what was the theme of the uh how did you build them what do they look like i i really like the design they uh they are um sprayed black obviously to prime uh now you can't spray black straight onto the foam so we had to prime them with acrylic paint first um but then uh, we also built some net traditionally like the nova l's Obviously, they're running a huge tournament there, so they don't have a lot of time to build a lot of detail into their um, terrain sometimes. And last year, so obviously every year it gets better. But uh, we wanted to put some more uh, scenery on the on these bases because, you know, I don't know if for the listeners that aren't familiar with what they are, they're um, basically eight inch tall blocks of foam, eight by eight inches, right? And they kind of meet each other to form an L. So that's like a full line of sight blocking piece of terrain so that when you put them on the table, it gives people the chance to play a couple turns without shooting each other off the table right away. Right. So um, movement becomes very important, obviously. And um, the great thing about them is that, again, they're so easy to build. And what, what we did for the the style of this one and what we pumped them out very quickly. So we just spray painted them with a few different colors. I put a little gray on the walls, little, little red, little green. Um, and then we, I, we had built like little brick walls out of foam. We cut some of the extra foam up into bricks and kind of glued them on. And then, um, we painted everything and then glued down using a brush, put little, patches of wood glue around and then flocked with uh, I had some woodland scenics grass and soil flocking that we use there we kind of mix it up and poured that on there and then I had some of the woodland scenics little uh, mossy shrub things and we glued those all over the place and we topped it off with the secret weapon what are those little sticky those adhesive um, uh, terrain uh bushes you know what I'm yeah talking about? They're, they're like little clumps of grasses and stuff mm-hmm. yeah those, and they're perfect and they give a nice the ones that i had i'd gotten out of the, actually the supernova a couple of years ago when we went i don't know if you remember and i got that really nice package with the orange ones yeah and they cool. really stand out on that terrain awesome which i loved about that so awesome. that's great yeah so they came out really good uh we posted a picture of them on the uh, crew shake and instagram page so feel free to go take a look at that uh, if you are looking for some hobby inspiration um they were way i am terrible with terrain making and it was a great project for me because i kind of got my feet wet with it um so it's definitely something that's easy to make and if you haven't made terrain before it's a really good starting point and how were they received at the tournament uh great i think people loved them uh at the last tournament we had uh people were it was a note that they they wanted more terrain like that more um itc traditional style terrain and while nova terrain is an itc it's still more of a tournament favorite 
than just having whatever you have at the store. So we kind of went by that format of having two L's in the middle, two ruins in the corners, forests in the middle, and then hills in the corners. So it uh, creates a more, I guess, balanced board. Um, I like to see some asymmetric boards as well sometimes, so we may put some of those out. Um, it just depends on what people want to see. Yeah, cool. Um, any painting for stuff for your own army? Uh, I did actually put together another Cold Star, or not a Cold Star, a uh, Enforcer Commander. So I have I had three Cold Star Commanders. Um, for my list that I ran on Saturday, I didn't really get too much time to prepare because I was more focused on getting the event ready. But I had created a, it was a triple Riptide, and then six Commanders and twenty eight drones and a Cadre Fireblade. So, and there I had uh, two uh, crisis commanders with uh, three cyclic ions and ATS, a uh, enforcer commander with cyclic ion and ATS, and that's the guy that I built for that event. Uh, He's only primed right now, so I still have to paint him up. But, uh, and then I had two cold star commanders and I ran Farsight. Um, Sounds like a pretty nasty list. Yeah, it can be nasty, but it also falls apart really easily. It's super brittle. So I, when I played on Saturday, I wasn't careful enough with the list, and it ended up being almost like kind of a frustrating day. And I kind of have to apologize for. I was all, I was a pretty poor sport at, by the end of the day. I was <laughs> really? really frustrated with it. Yeah. Um, you know, and that happens. We're not yeah. Perfect, so. yeah, that's all right. It was it was rough, but uh, I, the event went really well. Um, Sasha actually ran it that day, and nice. you know, again. Did a great job of running it. Everything was real clear to everyone. We actually, I think, finished early. So um, the only thing that I think happened was, and I'm starting to see happen at a lot of events, not just ours, because I had been to a few others, is that people will play around and then drop if they lose. Really? Right. Because they come, they come to win that day, and if they don't win, they they drop. You know. So I wish that weren't the case, and I can understand why. I sort of understand it because. You know, the tournaments are nine hours long or so, or sometimes longer, ten, ten and a half with a lunch break. And you've got, um, sometimes you're getting out of there like at 10 o'clock, 10.30 p.m. And if you've come with a long, uh, from a long ways away, you know, you might want to get out there before the last round. So I kind of understand it, but I wish, I wish that didn't have to be the case because um, when one person drops, you know, it means somebody else is not playing. But uh, fortunately, Sasha was able to step in and play, so we didn't have anybody taking a buy all day, which is really great. For That's the... good. Yeah, you got lucky there. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I mean, signing up for a tournament is sort of like signing this contract to to play it through to the end. But it's you know between as you said between getting frustrated with an early loss and uh, you know a long day ahead of you that you feel like you can't get past that first loss it's understandable but it's still it's kind of a break of that social contract which is too bad right have you ever uh, bailed out of a tournament early no no i i i i'd like to stick in until the bitter end and you know i've lost a lot of games and uh i'll you know i'm gonna stick in there because you know because it is an agreement you know it's an agreement with the to to to, to be there for the entire tournament i think you know it just seems a little bit Slightly poor sportsmanship to bail because it puts everyone else in the room at a disadvantage, you know. Right. Right. And like we've talked about before, you know, even if you're losing, it's important, you know, and everybody struggles with this. Like you just said, it gets the a loss can get the better of anyone, but it's important to try for the entire hobby's sake to try to keep the energy up and at least to stick around and 
you know, remain a part of the scene for the day just to, you know, sort of fill the seats as it were, you know? Exactly. Yeah. It keeps, uh, kind of keeps the, uh, like you said, the energy of the event up. Yeah. The more people you see, you feel like more is going on and it keeps everybody excited. Yeah. The uh, vibe is better when there's more people around. Yeah. Yeah. Nevertheless, we did. It seems like everybody is still having a good time. So yeah, other than that, uh, I haven't really, I'm working on the, some more Ethereum guys as we're recording right now. Nice. Um, and then I'm actually working on a project for a friend right now that I'm, I've been putting off for a while and shame on me, but, uh, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to finishing it now that I've got, once you get the ball rolling on things, you know, I, I know a lot of people can, can I identify with that procrastinating type of habit? And I do that with a lot of things, but once you get the ball rolling on it, it becomes easier. And I've gotten that point with this project where the ball is now rolling and I'm excited to work on it. So how about you, Tim? Yeah, things things have been good here. I've been experiencing that sort of uh, uh, little bit of hobby frustration recently about just not being able to get the ball rolling on a number of things, you know. Um, I go into my, my painting space and there's all these like semi-finished projects kind of staring at me. And when there's three or four things that are sort of in progress, it's sort of hard to focus on just one to kind of bang out to completion. So in the last couple of weeks, I found myself with very little hobby time. So I've been really trying to be very quick and efficient when I am over there working on stuff. And um, I managed to build and get primed and at least a color on the models for that Belgian game, or I think it's Belgian, uh, Conquest, The Last Argument of Kings, which was designed by the guy who wrote the last version of Warhammer Fantasy Battles. Um, The models are really cool. Um, Lavelle and I are going to give that a shot as soon as my stuff is totally done. I've got two colors on everything, um, and I'm going to start basing hopefully over the weekend or next week if uh, all hell breaks loose and no one's allowed to leave their homes in light of the uh, coronavirus. Um, In addition to that, um, I was struggling. I came up with this really cool color scheme, what I thought was a really cool color scheme for my Age of Sigmar Iron Jaws army, right? I started with a Vallejo, like a khaki brown color on all the armor. And then I topped that with another Vallejo game color, a light orange color. And then is this on the skin or the armor? This is on on just the armor. Yep. The skin. So they're wearing khakis. It's, it's sort of, hear me out. Hear me out. It's, it's, it's weird. It's a weird way to start, right? It's like, it's like this dark khaki brown at first and then orange on top of that. And then this color that I got randomly from, uh, this, from a scale 75 booth at, I forget where, but it was one, I got one bottle of this color called Sol Yellow, S-O-L, like the sun yellow, right? So I did like the first half of my Iron Jaws army with those three colors, and I was really happy with how they looked. It's this really weird, like, transition between the brown, orange, and the yellow, and it looks sort of already weathered a little bit because of the brown in it. So it's not like popping solid yellow. It looks more like dusty and kind of just slightly rusty, but it was really easy to do the armor really quickly once I had those three colors kind of mixed and thinned in a little Dixie cups, you know, I could just, you know, bang out the brown, clean the airbrush, bang out the orange, clean the airbrush, and then finish it off with the yellow. But halfway through the army, I ran out of the yellow. I don't know how I burned through like a whole bottle of yellow paint. That's another story altogether. I don't know how that happened. I must have spilled some or something. Or maybe they sold me a half-empty bottle. I don't know. Um, Or you're just that, you know, good of a painter. You're just like painting faster than you know. (laughs) The army might be done. You don't even know it. I don't even know it, yeah. So I I got, got halfway through, and I ran into the yellow. So I tried to make that yellow out of two or three other colors 
and get the same effect. <laughs> and of course, it totally didn't work. No. Right. So, I, so I've been playing AOS um, like once every couple of weeks um, with our friend Carl, and like half of my army is clearly one color, and the other half. And it's weird because, like, in the sunlight in my studio, sometimes it looks like it perfectly, they were perfectly matchy-matchy. But then when we would play under the lights at my house, which is like a fluorescent LED fixture, or over in Carl's basement, like, it looked totally wrong, right? You could clearly tell that one half of the army was orange, the other half of the, car, the Ooh, army was the no. red color. So, make, make a long story longer. I, I went on, I did not know this until a couple of months ago. But Scale 75 does have U.S. distribution now, so it's easy to just go to the website and just order the damn paints. So I ordered three tubes of this Sol Yellow, and I ordered a book about uh, a painter that I really like. Um, and it came just last week, so I repainted. This is the, the moral of the story. This is the point that I've been getting to, which has taken me a while, so forgive me. Um, I've repainted half of my Iron Jaws army just to get the armor to match the, f- the first half, which I really, really liked. So now I can successfully say that the iron, the armor is done on my Iron Jaws army. Now I just have to paint like the rest of the, they're all the rest of the bits, like the chainmail, and I'm doing non-metallic metal for all the weapons and whatnot. So it's going to take me a while, but I was really stoked. I played uh, yesterday with a matching all yellow armored Iron Jaws army, and it felt pretty sweet. I should post a picture to the, I'll post, I'll post a picture now to the Instagram, but. So that was fun, and that's uh, that also counts towards one of my gaming hobby progresses. I did play Carl yesterday a game of AOS and one, oh, which was good. Yeah, As I like. I've heard good things about the AOS system. I haven't played it myself personally, but I've heard it's um, almost like more of a, a like a good time. You know, I don't want to say that 40k is a good time, but it can be very complicated sometimes, which is. You know, AOS can be more of a, like, just get together and play kind of a thing. And It has been good for exactly that reason, yes. And one of the things that I've been struggling with 40K recently, maybe this is, I was going to save this for later in the show, but maybe this is a good point to talk about it. Um, AOS isn't necessarily an easier game, but it doesn't have sort of the abundance of new additions to the rules that you need to be aware of, as I feel like 40K has gotten, right? For instance, like, I bought... We had talked about in the last couple episodes the fact that I was behind the ball in reading these Psychic Awakening books, right? So I got all the Psychic Awakening, Awakening books except for the most recent one about the Tao. Um, and I started to read through those. And so on my desk right now, I have, like, all these Psychic Awakening books. I have printouts of all the recent FAQs for the Psychic Awakening books. I have the 2019 chapter approved and the little points book that came with that. I have the, – the point I'm getting at is I feel like I need so much paperwork now – just to figure out if my list is current and if I understand all of the rules as they stand based on the FAQ that was released yesterday for the latest book. Do you know what I mean? I feel like there's been a little bit of an overabundance of rules and documentation. I feel like some of the fun, and we've talked about this before, some of the fun of when 8th edition launched, right, was that it felt really clear and clean, right? I feel like we're losing some of the, the, the psychic fun cleanliness of 8th edition with all this stuff that's required to just understand where the game is at as of today. Now, granted, you don't have to play with the most current, current stuff, right? But, it, I've, you know, in our, in our scene, you know, we tend to play with whatever's new and fresh because there are a lot of competitive players who, even if they're having a friendly game, like to have the most recent rules in front of them, at least. We like to, we like to be aware of the most recent FAQ just to keep up with the Joneses, sort of. But I feel like I've fallen behind on some of these changes that I should be more aware of. You know what I mean? I feel like, and that's one of the benefits of AOS is that, you know, they do release new battle tomes every once in a while, but 
I feel like the system, it, it doesn't suffer from that, that overabundance of maybe overanalysis. Does that make sense? So, yeah, um, I think, you know, a lot of the players that I know that play AOS are very analytical people still. And AOS, from what I see in the tournaments and what Grant has explained to me, is very strategic. But like you said, there's not a um, kind of the rules aren't at that point where they're it's just a bunch of convoluted junk that you have to look through. Right. So with 40K, there's like you said, all those extra books and you do need to I know you said like you don't need to, but you do need to get the most recent book and you do need to get the most uh, the psychic awakening updates and stuff, because otherwise it really the pace at which armies are growing if you don't update yourself on the rules you will be outmatched in every way possible right right you could That's be, true. yeah yeah you could be uh you know just as good of a player as a person you're playing against but sometimes and we've seen it with the iron hands uh over the winter time where they got to a point where it was just like you know if you played against them um nine times out of ten you're losing yeah you weren't gonna win you know, right. <laughs> right yeah um, now there are some players that, you know, people in the top meta, you know, they can pretty much go against somebody who, you know, if you just net list an iron hands list and you don't really know what you're doing with it, you're, you're not going to do well, but sure. you know, it's, it's something that if you put that list in the hands of a decent player, they're going to steamroll. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. And you do need the latest and greatest to be able to keep up with that and balance that and, and maintain that sort of. Maintain the balance that 40k, you know, kind of prides itself on. Yeah. Yep. Is that all? Is that all your hobby? Is that all that I've done? Um, So I did get some games in. I did register for Nova, which I'm pretty stoked about. I registered for one 40k narrative game so far. I registered for the Infinity Night Fight, which I enjoyed last year, and a couple of seminars. I'll probably register for more stuff, but that's really all the time I could dedicate to the website to to dive in and and, and get the get it done. Now, did you? Were you on when? The website dropped or no? Did no, you, like, no. What happened um, there? I didn't hear. Okay, so right when they released it, obviously everybody's trying to get Supernova, and I think the website has cr- had crashed. Oh no! <laughs> um, which is expected. You know, you have thousands of people trying to flood it all at the same time, so you can't really blame them for that. But uh, I know there were. I had been lucky enough to get a Supernova ticket, which are I think only two hundred of, counting the early registration and i'd missed out on the early registration because i was playing a tournament that day i was lucky enough to get a a supernova ticket i got my gt ticket and then i got the team ticket for uh the uh, team event that's happening on thursday uh, um, at the same time that trios is happening now normally we would play trios yeah what nova saw in the past few years was that trios was slowly growing to be more competitive so this year, what they've done is they split the event and they've built a five-man ITC-style team event for the more competitive players. And they're trying to take Trios and make it take it back to a more narrative um, structure, which yeah. I think is good. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so yep. what's what's the game breakdown of the five-man ITC uh, team event? How's it work? So you take a five-man team. Uh, with a captain, and uh, it mirrors. It's taking its structure from a lot of the other team events, like ATC mm-hmm. and BFS team, where you have 
you have five people, you have no repeats of lists. Uh, I think most of the events require you to take only, you're only allowed to take two Adeptes Astartes keywords lists, right? So you can't all take Space Marines. Ah. Um, and same thing, like you can only have one Tau list, you can only have uh, one El Craftworld Eldar list or whatever, right? Yeah. And then when you pair, you take turns pairing. So it's like, I'm trying to remember how it goes, but if you say, you know, we're going to put up a player and then the other team puts up a player in a mission okay. to counter them. Gotcha. And then the next person puts up a player or something like that. Gotcha. I think you might put up a player in a mission and they put up a player to counter and pick the board. I can't remember. Okay. But, um, and I don't know how it's going to go at Nova. We'll see. But, uh, it, you just take turns pairing and then you play. This is going to be a smaller team event, obviously, since it's only happening in one day. So mm -hmm. you're only playing three games. Uh, some of those other events can be played over two days. So you're playing five or six games gotcha. in that scenario. Gotcha. And there's no doubles game. It's all individual games, correct? Correct. But yep. your cumulative victory points are going towards victory in the overall tournament. Exactly. Yep. Sweet. Sweet. That's cool. And I think there's ways you can win individually. I think there's ways, you know, obviously you're winning as a team. Yeah. Um, so. That sounds like uh, It's fun. really, yeah, it's a fun idea. I can't mm -hmm. wait to try it out. We're sending two teams this year. So nice. I bought one ticket. Another player bought a sec another one because you can't buy two. Uh, one awesome. person can't buy two, right? right? And I think there's two, two available. So mm, That's cool. But it's 20 teams, so it's 100 people playing in that. And I can only imagine there's going to be over 100 playing in trios like there's is yeah. usually and it'll be a busy day uh, yeah <laughs> it's crazy i hope they have enough room for all this stuff yeah it's yeah. crazy crazy i hope it happens you know they're, they're canceling everyone is canceling their events right and left um i hope uh, i hope this doesn't go on too much longer and affect uh, things that are booked into the summer and into the um into the fall like nova right yeah that'd be sad uh, for, for those Cactus and Succulent fans out there, the Connecticut Cactus and Succulent sale and show happening in April 18th and 19th was just canceled today. So put that off your calendars. You Are you serious? Yeah. It's a big Cactus and Succulent show that happens in Connecticut. It was just canceled. Yeah. That's a bummer. I have some concert tickets this summer that I hope don't get canceled. I have tickets to see Megadeth and uh, another show to see uh, Little Dragon. Um, and I hope, I hope they don't get postponed. I imagine they, they may, but... A little worried yeah. about that. It's interesting. So what is what do they do? Do they normally refund people in that scenario? Or so, so last time this happened, I had tickets to see Massive Attack, and their lead singer had gotten sick before the tour launched. So when they rescheduled the tour, um, they would honor the original tickets for the, the new date. So so maybe this is a situation where, say, Megadeth, for instance, they're doing a big tour. Maybe they'll just push the tour back three months, and then if you know, you just bring your same ticket, and all's right with the world. You know, I'm hoping that's the case. Yeah. Unless they just cancel outright and say, here's your money back, done deal, or here's a voucher for another concert on Live Nation or something like that, but I don't know. Interesting times. Interesting times are afoot. Yeah. Um, and one of the things, you know, to kind of tie Nova to this coronavirus thing, um, I registered for two, uh, I forget, one or two lectures by Gutierrez, the guy who created Infinity, because apparently there's a new version of Infinity. Uh, oh, I guess that's um, not the guy that sung. And they gotta tie me up. Oh yeah 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 with yeah, uh, Gautier and Kimbra yeah right 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 that's funny that's funny I was just thinking about her today in one of my classes yeah 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 I bought I bought that not that, the same person I'm not that same person but equally fascinating a human being um, so Gautier is coming to Nova he's there he's been there for the last couple of years he's talking about this new version of Infinity that's coming out but I wonder if his 
you know, if the event is still on, does that affect his travel plans? Because, you know, we can't get from Europe to the United States right now very easily. So it's they're from Spain or so, at all or at all, right? <laughs> so, it's, it's so the weird. president put that. Uh, it's just so weird. <laughs> thirty day travel yeah. ban, on which probably yeah. will extend past thirty days. I'm guessing. It's pretty intense. Pretty yeah. intense. Yeah. Cool. Um, but that's that's really all the hobby progress I have. There's been um, I've been reading the. Uh, the Psychic Awakening books. I got through the first one. Tons of grammatical errors in the narrative section of the first Psychic Awakening book. Sorry, folks, but that that book is a mess. <laughs> There's like repeated. I found like a repeated sentence, and like a bunch of weird punctuation mistakes in the first couple they're of pages. They're not really. I think I have a feel. They're just pushing stuff out as fast as they can. I'm afraid that, that's exactly the impression I got, yeah. Carlo. Yeah, even the narrative, like it's a, basically a rehashing of the uh, the Gathering Storm story of how the. Uh, um, the Aeneid, the uh, you know the, the the dead the death god of the Eldar and the Asuriani or the Eldari, whatever they're called now, um, came to be. And I don't know, the, it was not really the story didn't grab me because it was basically a retelling and a slight continuation of that narrative from almost two years ago now. And there was just it was like full of mistakes. I was kind of salty, you know. I expect and better. Those books are what forty bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I expected more. And I just was flipping through before we started recording. I was flipping through the uh, Ritual of the Damned one. And there's like eight pages of narrative and then a bunch of rules. There's like an entirely new Dark Angels codex, basically, in that book. I'll play Dark Angels. I want, I, want the, I want the good, juicy narrative stuff. And I didn't get much of that so far in this series. Definitely not as much as was in the uh, Gathering Storm set. So I'm a little bummed about that. But I'm making my way through them. Yeah, I put aside the... Uh, Beast Arises series for for a bit. I have one book left in that series, but I'm going to save that until I get through these uh, Gathering Storm books. So I don't, or the uh, Psychic Awakening books. So I don't feel like I'm behind the curve anymore. I want to get up to date, Carlo. I want to be with the now. I don't know if that's ever going to happen, old man. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I should just start. Just go back to playing my old school Space Marines and be done with it. <laughs> You haven't gotten any 40k games in recently, though. No, not in. Um, it's has it's been over a month. Yeah. Well, we got to remedy that, and we might when we come back for section two. We'll be right back. Section 2, Tactical Upload, welcome back. We're going to start this strategy comp- yeah, competition. That's not how you say it, Tim. Competition. We're going to start this more strategic. Yo, you're more, talking like yeah, that. It's so weird. Yeah. Section 2, Tactical Upload. We're going to start this episode 30 by talking about the March Red Caps RTT that just went down last weekend at Red Caps Corner in West Philadelphia. I'd like to talk, Carlo, about how the day unfolded uh, tactically. I'd like to talk about the top couple of lists, if we can. And I'd like to focus on, because I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses myself, I'd like to focus on how some of the Psychic Awakening stuff has helped those, uh, those winning lists get to where they are, if at all. Okay, yeah. Um, I thought it was, it was a great day. Uh, obviously, we had the, as we were talking about earlier, we had the new terrain we used. Um, helped everybody kind of... Helped everybody to play on a familiar-looking table, so that was good. Uh, in first place, we had an Imperium list, so it was actually a soup list. It included uh, an Inquisitor, Lord Hector Rex, um, and inc- it included uh, some Admech, 
I included a detachment of Blood Angels, a battalion of that with Astaroth and a Libby, and three scout squads and some Sanguinary Guard. Um, it included a battalion of uh, Guard, so three infantry squads there, Basilisk, um, and company commanders, two of those. Um, the the first attachment, I'm sorry, I forgot to uh, mention it, was a battalion of Admex, so three Skatari Ranger squads, a Tech Priest Dominus, and a Tech Priest Engine Seer. Uh, so the winner of our event was Brian Cross. He plays with the uh, Basement Wargamers, which are the guys we talk about from Phoenixville all the time. A uh, pretty good player. He did really well this event. He finished the day with 100 battle points. Um, so he won uh, first place obviously with three wins uh we had a guy in second place with also three wins uh, because of the number of players we had uh with 20 less battle points so he finished 80 he was running a necron list which i actually played against first round um he had run three squads of warriors and he was running the uh double so he had the ghost arc in the back with the second set of savior protocols uh and he was running Basically, it was like, you know, the list was built around reanimation so that he could stay on those objectives all game. And I had to take out the bigger threats, which were the uh, ghost arcs with the big guns. So it allowed those troops to stay alive throughout the whole game and pretty much control the board. Uh, It was a really good list. Um, And he he played it exceptionally well. So Um, and then in third place was Eric, who I played third round and he was running Harlequins. Uh, he had with a mix of craft world, I believe. So uh, he was running some troop masters, uh, three squads of troops with fusion pistols. They were riding in uh, star weavers so they could get up close and blast you. And then he had some sky weaver bikes with haywire and uh, Eldrad, some rangers, uh, hemlock, and wave serpent, and a solitaire and the mat. Uh, as an auxiliary support uh, slot, so it was a. The list was deceptively, you know, it, it it dealt a lot of damage very quickly, and I really wasn't prepared for it. So I ended up getting whacked off the board pretty quickly that game. But uh, those those three lists are very good. And then uh, you know everybody who played that day, I thought played really well. Again, we had a few, a few drops. We initially had twenty people. Um, signed up, but I think we had seven drops, counting the people who dropped before and during the tournament. So hmm, that's uh, too bad. That's a lot of people yeah. filling out. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. Um, it is what it is, though, and uh, we still had a really good day. So awesome, cool. Um, so it's, so in in if you were able to see any of Brian's games, the the winners' games, that Imperial Suplice sounds really interesting. Were there what was he what was he doing with it? Do you think that he was so that made him so successful? Were there any tricks in particular that he was like bringing to bear? To be honest, I can't really speak on behalf of it because I didn't see any of the games. I was playing myself that day, but um, I would imagine you know with three battalions, you're getting 18 command points, so that's a great place to start. Yeah, that doesn't hurt. Uh, <laughs> he ran three Scorpius disintegrators, which are those Admech tanks that uh, come with. Uh, Belarus energy cannon and three Cognus heavy stubbers. Um, and then he took the Scorpius Dune Rider, which is the transport version of that. So those are really hard to kill and they could put out a lot of damage. Um, now, the Sanguinary Guard that he brought in the list, he brought 10 of those guys with axes and bolt guns. They can 
hit your opponent so hard and you know you dedicate them to the right target and you can really mess up your opponent's strategy very quickly because they you know they can deep strike uh they can be protected with psychic powers and stratagems and come in and, and just like kill any target you point them at so you got to be careful with those you got to screen them out well um and then he had a bunch of troops so i mean he had nine troop squads so he's got tons of board control he's got uh, a lot of little shots to take out um chaff and drones and stuff like that and then he's also got some heavy hitters in there he's got the basilisk so you can find her out of line of sight which is really useful um so i think it's a, just a really really well developed list and i think you might end up seeing more of that after the nerf that happened to space marines recently interesting i think your breakdown answered the question exactly like those are probably exactly the kind of tricks that he used he would use that sanguinary guard to get in there and take out whatever the whatever the other whatever his opponent's tricks were going to be over the course of the game right such a good focused attacky unit like that is strong for just putting your opponent in a position where they can't do the thing that they wanted to do or they can't their list can't do the thing that it was supposed to do you know at which point you can wrap up the game you know victory points wise pretty quickly if you can you know put your opponents off balance like that exactly so let's talk psychic awakening probably not too much except maybe for the sanguinary guard were boosted by the uh, psychic awakening stuff um do you think that had any like bearing on what he was able to do uh certainly um I don't know if you have the – do you have the Blood Angels book in front of you? It's, I'm just opening it up now, yeah. I can tell you what the Astro Militarum can do. Do it. Um, yeah, do it. So they got a bunch of new stratagems. They received a bunch of new uh, regimental doctrines. You can choose, I um, believe, two of those so you can make your own regiment. Let's see what he was running. He was running gunnery experts and jury-rigged repairs. So gunnery experts lets you – when you roll to determine the type char- characteristic of any weapon of vehicle model with this doctrine it is equipped with, you can re-roll one of the dice. So if you have a heavy 2d6 basilisk, you can re-roll. Say you get a 6 and a 1, you can re-roll that 1 you know, and get more shots, right? So, um, so he had – he was running two company commanders, so I guess those are Lehman Russes, right? Oh, no, they're just little – Infantry guys. So I guess the only reason he was running that was for the Basilisk, it seems. Oh, I guess he had two Basilisks, it looks like, in one squad. Okay, so that makes sense. And then the jury rigged repairs uh, at the start of your turn, roll 1d6 for each vehicle model from your army with this Doctrine that lost any wounds. On a 2 to a 4, they gain 1. On a 5 up, they gain d3. So your tanks can heal themselves, which is really awesome. Now you can choose to make – they have a stratagem that makes a tank a tank ace. So uh, if you have an Astro Militarum character model in your army, you have access to the tank ace stratagem below. You basically you pick a Astro Militarum vehicle model. That model can be given a tank ace ability from the corresponding list below. Named characters cannot be given tank ace abilities, and you can't have more than one for a model, and you can use it only once. So he probably made one of the Basilisks a tank ace, I'm assuming, and there's a there's a whole list of those. I'm not going to read through them all because that's a pregame thing. He probably didn't put it on his list. There are several stratagems that came out. Uh, notably, there is a strat for, I believe, I'm trying to see what it's called. Um, it allows you to max your shots out. 
So they have Relentless now, so you can shoot as if you're using the top damage table, regardless of what you've taken. They have a strat that lets Sentinels do some work on the first turn. Uh, okay, so here's Hail of Fire. Use the stratagem in your shooting phase when a Layman Rust model from your army is chosen to shoot with. Until the end of that phase, when resolving an attack made with a weapon by that model against a vehicle, do not roll it to, de to determine the type characteristic. It has a maximum value. So if you're shooting a Layman Rust, usually you shoot the Battle Cannon, which is D6 shots. It'll just do six shots, and then you can shoot it twice, so you're just shooting 12 shots out of it. Boom. It's pretty nasty. That's awesome. Wow. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So uh, I'm looking in the um, the Blood of Ball uh, book at some of the stuff, the, some of the stratagems that would affect those Sanguinary Guard models. There's some there's some really nasty stuff here. Um, one command point, Hammer of Wrath. It's a Blood Angels jump pack unit, which Sanguinary Guard are. Uh, for each model in that unit, you can select one enemy unit within one inch of that model and roll 1d6 on a 5-up. It suffers a mortal wound. That's pretty badass. We have Death on the Wind. Uh, in the fight phase, select one Sanguinary Guard unit from your army until the end of the phase when resolving an attack made by a model in that unit. Treat the damage result of one as a two. So it doubles the damage for their uh, their attacks. That's pretty awesome. And there's one more called Explosive Judgment. This is on the last page, page 56, of the Stratagems Inside Blood of Ball. Um, in the shooting phase, select one Sanguinary Guard unit from your army until the end of that phase when resolving an attack made by, made with an Angelus bolt gun by a model in that unit. You can reroll wounds, and target does not receive the benefit of cover. That's pretty nice. That's awesome. That's one command point. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, so you can actually you could take out Eliminators with that, you know, which are usually a pesky threat, and they're you're seeing them pop up in a lot of Space Marine armies now. Mm, you know, yeah. a lot of those Phobos. Marines that get, you know, plus their cover save. Yes. It yeah. take, takes that right away. Boom. Really yeah. cool. Yeah. They're great. And double, and double sorry, damage. Right? And double damage. Yeah. Right. It's mm -hmm. awesome. Um, and the Sanguinary Guard are awesome models, too. Oh, they're beautiful. Yep. They're really, They've really cool. Kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, like an ancient. Uh, I wouldn't see if I, I'm, I'm scared to to draw a juxtaposition to something in history because i know ian's gonna listen to this podcast uh, <laughs> if i get if i get the comparison wrong ian, ian, it, ian, so. know, ian knows his history go, go ahead and give it a shot give it a shot give it a shot uh, some sort of a maybe like a roman look to them or like a greek look i don't know like an ancient armor of yeah. some kind. yeah 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 i think with the you know like the it's like chiseled abs kind of a look and they each have these wings there's definitely like this angelic uh, sculptural look to all of them yeah yeah and the great models. Um, any rules issues that came up over the course of the day at the March Red Caps RTT? Were there any questions that the uh, that uh, Sasha had to answer? Were there any conflicts that that came up that you're aware of? Um, not to my knowledge. Uh, I, I know in my game we were wondering if I think heroic intervention can use the fly keyword, and I believe it can because. It happens in the charge phase, and you can you, you can utilize the fly keyword in the charge play phase to fly over other models, you know. But you can't use it to fly over terrain. So since inter heroic intervention happens in that phase, you can use it to jump over models to heroically intervene. Correct. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. But yeah. you can't use it to pile in or consolidate. Right. So that was like the only. I noticed that mm. we had an issue with in my game, but mm. uh, let's shift our focus now to the. Uh, what I think, and again, Tim is behind the times, but I think is the latest release 
in the Psychic Awakening series, The Greater Good, and how that is affecting the Tau right now. Did you see any Tau lists at the tournament that were using the latest Psychic Awakening stuff from that book? Uh, the only Tau list at the tournament was mine, and I was using stuff from it. So. Okay, so what, did, so what did you pull from the new book that was uh, helpful or not that helpful in, in your case? <laughs> um, so for me, uh, in Psychic Awakening, Tau got a lot of really good stuff. They got the eight again. So we got those in chapter approved 2018, I believe, or 19, but they re-released them in, in Psychic Awakening. And there's a way you can play them. I've heard they're pretty good, but they're also very, very complicated to play because you're basically playing eight characters with a whole bunch of relics and special rules. So you have to re-memorize. They're um, specific to those model to running that data sheet, and it's one big data sheet. And you lose CP by running it. So it's like very one of those things that's like very hard to run. You need to really build a list around it and practice it a lot. So I didn't try to run that, but I ran a Farsight list. Farsight received new sept abilities. So traditionally, Farsight, you reroll ones to wound if you're within six inches of the target you're shooting at. Additionally, now if you're within 12 inches, you count as having one more marker light. So for players that don't play Tau or don't play against Tau often, having one marker light does a lot for you because you can re-roll ones to hit, which is really great. Now it counts as having one more. So if you do have marker lights in your list, you can stack up. You could blow. They got another stratagem in the book that allows them to add a marker light for free. So you do that and you shoot a marker light at a guy. Then you do the, D3 plus one marker lights and, you know, stratagem. You can really get to five very quickly. Um, I like it because I don't have to run marker lights in my list then. And it seems to be working out pretty well. I can use those points on spamming commanders <laughs> because Farsight also got the ability to run two commanders per detachment where normal talus you can only run one. So um, now for people, again, that don't play Tau, there are several data sheets of commanders. So you have Enforcer commanders, Cold Star commanders, Crisis commanders. You have named characters that are commanders. So you have a lot of variation uh, potentially. Obviously, you can't use other SEPs commanders in the Farsight list because you'll lose your uh, – one of the facts that actually came out this weekend is you lose your Farsight um, aggressive footing ability, which is the reroll once – or uh, additional marker light uh, ability if you put anything that's not a Farsight enclave keyword into that detachment uh yeah they want to keep it pure enclave for yeah sure correct and that sure. includes if you want to put crew in there you lose that interesting because right? they don't have a farsight keyword so you have to be really careful about how you build your list for farsight um now with that book uh tau got tau received new septenets so similarly to the guard regiments you pick two of them you make a list out of it some of the notable ones are there's one called harder warheads that gives you an additional AP to any missiles you fire. So high yields, missile pods, uh, seeker missiles, or smart missiles, uh, which a lot of people are running lists now with that, with their broadsides, and just, you know, you could sit out of line of sight, fire a ton of smart missile systems, and then when the, uh, just kind of like 
camp and castle up, and then when the opponent comes into view, you just light them up with missiles. Oh, that's cool. So it's, yeah. Does it work? Um, like, does it work like a bubble around the sept tenant? No, it's just every everything in that sept, sept gets that. Oh, so, oh, I see. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, sure. A sept tenant, yep. not a not a not a character or a model you pick as your sept tenant, Correct. like a lieutenant for a sept. Gotcha. Okay, I misunderstood. Cool. Sorry. Exactly. Yeah, it's like a uh, it's like a, a chapter tactic, basically, right? So. Um, they have up guns, which your burst cannons gets an additional minus one AP. Uh, they have uh, stabilization systems where if you move, uh, it, it only works on battle suits, and if you move, you don't fire the penal- you don't suffer the penalty for firing heavy weapons. So that can be good if you're using riptides or you know if you're using your broadsides and you want to move them around a lot because they can get wrapped easily. They don't have fly, so you want to kind of move them away from your opponent if they tend to get close. Right? Um, now, the thing that I like more out of this book are the prototype we- weapon systems, which a lot of people can, can agree with me on, because you could put, doesn't matter what sept you're playing, you, these are useful for everything, right? So, these take the place of a signature system, which is Tau's version of relics, right? Um, so, for one, in w- one instance, they have something called a cross-link stabilizer jet, which you put on commanders, you can put on crisis battle suits or excavate crisis bodyguards. Um, when you, when resolving an attack made with a ranged weapon by a model on this unit, you re-roll hit rolls of one and wound rolls of one. So you could take a, a unit of, you know, traditionally like relics only go on characters, right? Well, in Tau, these relics or these prototype we- weapon systems can go on normal units, whatever specified under the prototype, obviously. But you could put put these on a crisis team and you've got you know six or nine or 12 crisis suits shooting missile pods or cyclic ion blasters or whatever and they're all re-rolling once to hit once to wound automatically so now there's also an amplified ion accelerator which the riptide got and that's going to replace that ion gun which traditionally was a d6 heavy d6 now it's making a flat heavy six if you overcharge it you're hitting at strength nine ap minus four Three plus D three damage, um, yeah. So you, you can when that thing hits, it hits like a truck. Um, now, normally people wouldn't take those because the ion accelerator was never worth taking over the the burst cannon because a, a riptide has a BS of four, right? So if you move, you're hitting on fives. If anybody's got any sort of modifiers, you know, basically if you're you're taking a D six weapon, you're getting an average of three shots, and you're probably missing with all of them. Right, so now you've got six shots. You can move and shoot without penalty if you take a tar- target lock, or you can take that sept tenant that allows you to do so. Um, and you have a really easy way of getting five marker lights on stuff now because you've got two strats around it, and you've got um, the ability to, you know, if you want to play your Riptide as Farsight Enclaves, which I'm doing, you automatically get kind of having an extra one within 12 inches you know which a lot of opponents you know you might not think you want to be within 12 inches with tau but it happens a lot so especially if you want to get some good board control early on which i feel like is really important now with some of these uh itc we haven't talked about it but they re-released a a new packet of rules for 2020 and some of those um they have a two two different categories that you want to pick secondaries from and they make you pick one from each and then a third. So you have to pick a, a kill and then a maneuver and then a one of those two or old school. So 
and the maneuvers, you know, they want you to be on objectives and stuff. So it's important to have board control. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think uh, Psychic Awakening did a lot of really good stuff for Tau. Oh, and some of the strats they got besides the besides that one, uh, Farsight Enclaves got a bunch of strats. So you can make a, a veteran crisis team with BS three, weapon skill four. So they can actually, you know, if you play them right, you can do a lot of damage with those guys. Um, they have coordinated engagement, so they count as having five marker lights in a phase against a single enemy unit. Uh, that can be really deadly, uh, just like automatically getting five marker lights. And then um, there's uh, strats for breachers. So if you want to play breachers, they're really good now. So it's just a, a bunch. I, what they've done with this book is really opened up a lot of options for Tau players, so you don't have to play that Triptide list to be competitive. You, you can kind of experiment a little bit, which is really cool. Um, can you talk about the new rules for uh, Shadow Sun to accompany the new model of her? Okay, yeah. So let me see if I can bring her up here. Now, a lot of people were disappointed with Shadow Sun because the way that they wrote the ruling for her is kind of strange because it, she can be taken with any sep now, but her Kaiyun and Monka only affect models with the same sept as her. So if you take her in a Farsight list, like she doesn't help you at all, right? So it's like to make to make that rules change, and then they didn't address it in the fact uh, yesterday either. So it's just kind of like, why did you make that change? Other than you know, because nobody, you're not going to take her in a, in a non-Tau sept list. Interesting. So they're forcing you to take her in a certain capacity in a certain kind of list. Yeah, exactly. Um, they changed her drones around. Uh, I don't want to get too far into what she does, but she's basically, you know, she, she's traditionally there to sit there and buff your army. Right. And if she can't buff a non, like something that's not the same sept as her, it doesn't really help her out too much, but, um, she can infiltrate. She got two new guns so she can take, you can take either of the fusion blasters so there's a Dispersed Fusion Blaster, which is Assault 2, Strength 7, AP-4, D3 damage. Um, and you can roll an additional D3 and discard one of the dice when you're within half range. So it works just like a Melt-A-Gun, right? Uh, or you can take the High Energy Fusion Blaster, which is 24-inch range, Assault 1. And that's more along the lines of a regular Melt-A-Gun, Strength 8, AP-4, D6. Drop the lowest within half. Um so you get either four shots or two shots, really. Um, now, you don't really want to infiltrate her up front because your commanders in a Tau list are very important and very precious. And when they get killed, you don't, that's not something you want up in front of the board to get shot or charged very quickly, right? Um, I could see some use in it. Like if you want to use her to nuke something but then at that point you might as well just take a cyclic ion commander to deep strike because they get way more shots and the potential of them killing something is a lot higher um yeah she's got a five up invul um she's got camouflage fields uh which when resolving an attack made by with a ranged weapon against this model or any accompanying drones you subtract one from the hit roll so she is a bit harder to hit uh she's kind of like stealth suits right because she is in a stealth suit um 
she's got command link drones. So at the start of your shooting phase, if a friendly command link drone model is within three inches of this model, which are the drones that she comes with, select one friendly Tau Empire unit within 12 inches of that model until the end of the phase. When resolving an attack made by a model in that Tau Empire unit, you can reroll a hit roll of a one. Um, now, at face value, this looks like a really helpful ability. However, when you deploy drones, they deploy with that unit and then they count as a separate unit. So they no longer gain the protection of having that like character keyword that she has. right? So those drones can be shot off the board turn one. And a lot of lists have no line of sight shooting. So you can pretty much kiss those goodbye. And also this ability can be done by an ethereal anyway. So you'd rather just take the ethereal to do that. So why would you need command? Right. So it just seems like kind of a weird, a weird ability to give those drones, but hmm. yeah, it is okay. so she hasn't completely settled into the, the way to play just yet. Hmm. You might see her in Tausup lists. I think she can be really good, but you won't see her anywhere else. And I, I have a feeling that people are going to be stepping away from Tausup because a, they have so many more options now. B, they've been playing Tausup forever. That's the only thing anybody's been playing for a long time. And C, like you know, they have more options. So you you want to do something fun, right? I I'm moving towards Farsight Enclaves because I want to try something new. I want to try something different. They are really good right now, but it's also kind of like a breath of fresh air. That was a really good look at what the Tau gained from the new Psychic Awakening book. We'll take a short break. We'll come back with Section 3 statements. Section 3, Future History. This episode, we are taking a short look at a Grey Knight's character that is somewhat near and dear to my heart. Not as much as Castellan Crow is near and dear to my heart with his deceptively weak sword, uh, Drakhen that he carries around, but we're talking today about Grand Master Valdus. I took some notes, I did a little bit of writing, I'm going to read through that, we'll talk about Valdus. So his name is Aldric Voldus. He is the Grand Master of the Third Grey Knights Brotherhood. So the Grey Knights are the 666th chapter, because they fight the beast that is the demon force that is encroaching on the Imperium of Man, the 666th chapter is divided into eight brotherhoods. Valdus is the grand... Each has their own grand master. Um, Valdus is the grand master of the third brotherhood called the Ward Makers. And I think they're called the Ward Makers because this is the brotherhood that is responsible for maintaining the Libra Demonica, which is the book, I think, of demon names, if I remember correctly. Um, you can defeat a demon if you know its true name, and this is the group that uh, is, is maintaining the Grey Knight's ability to battle the demons so effectively um, by their, their various grimoires and book of demonic knowledge. So they are the ward makers um, who are responsible for that library of knowledge within the eight brotherhoods of the Grey Knights. So he was elevated to the rank of Grand Master by Supreme Grand Master, I think is the title, for Kaldor Drago who's another big uh, Grey Knights character in both the narrative and on the tabletop. Uh, he was elevated by Drago after the Battle of Long Hollow, where they fought the Lord of Ch- Change, McCatchin. Uh, Valdus has been in combat on two demon worlds within the Eye of Terror. So he and his brothers of the Third Brotherhood, the Wardmakers, have gone into the Eye of Terror 
they crushed one demon world, and they were not done, so they went to a second demon world and kept crushing. Um, and <laughs> there he proved himself a masterful warrior, uh, crushing the foes of the emperor with every swing of his nemesis demon hammer, which is named Malleus Argyrum. A-R-G-Y-R-U-M. Malleus Argyrum. Uh, Valdus came into the narrative in a big way during the Gathering Storm books that ushered in the 8th edition of Warhammer 40,000. Um, in that narrative, he was present on McCrag for the resurrection of Robut Gilliman by Belisarius Call, which is kind of an interesting moment in the narrative, and interesting that he was there uh, to see it. Um, of course, Robut Gilman being the Primarch of the Ultramarines and the current Lord Commander of the Imperium. The first time we saw his model released, he was in the triumvirate of the triumvirate, excuse me, of the Imperium box that included both um, included Valdus, included um, uh, Cipher, and included Gilman. So that was the first time you could get the three of those models. Uh, they have interesting that Cipher's in that box. Yeah, what's he doing in there? <laughs> that little, the little crazy person. We should do a, a Cipher episode eventually too. He's another interesting character in this whole situation that we find ourselves in. Do I have that right? I'm pretty sure it's Cipher in that box. Yeah, I think it's Cipher. Yeah. Um, so on the tabletop, let's talk about what Grandmaster Valdus can do. Um, he is a five-inch movement. He's in Terminator armor. Five-inch movement. Uh, two up weapon skill. Two up ballistic skill. Strength four. Toughness four. Six wounds. Five attacks. Leadership of nine. And a two up save. His iron halo, of course, gives him a four up inball save. He uh, has rights of battle, so you reroll hits of one for friendly gray knights within six inches. His big one, though, is he can attempt to manifest three psychic powers in each friendly psychic phase and attempt to deny three psychic powers in each enemy psychic phase. That's pretty nasty. It's unbelievable. He knows the smite psychic power and three psychic powers from the Sanctic Discipline. Of course, the choice of psychic powers was expanded by the Ritual of the Damned Psychic Awakening book, which I am about to open up to have a look in here. So in the um, Psychic Awakening book, you pay... 153 points for Grandmaster Valdus, which is pretty badass considering you've got a you've got three denies, three casts, um, three manifestations rather, um, six wounds. He's he's kind of a beast. I mean, this is a really tough dude to take down with a two up, four up, and all that casting power at his disposal. Super interesting. I think. He's like a better doll. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I am looking at the the Ritual of the Damned book now, and he does not have any specific stratagems that apply only to him, which is not totally surprising. I'm looking for stratagems that apply only to characters, but I don't see any of those either. But he does have the access to the new Dominus Discipline, which applies to Grey Knight's character models. Um, So he can do things, and three of these things, as it turns out. He can do something called Warp Shaping, uh, which changes the tide of the warp, which is the new Grey Knight's uh, abilities that are inherent in every uh, Grey Knight's force that start at the beginning of the game and can only be changed by one of your psychers casting warp shaping. Um, that's a that's a, um, a warp charge value of 5, and it lets you change the selective tide of the warp. I'll get back to what the tide of the warp does in a second. Um, his uh, second uh, Dominus Discipline power is Armored Resilience. Uh, it's warp charge value of 6. Select one Grey Knight's infantry unit within 12 inches, 
Um, until the start of your next psychic phase, when resolving an attack that targets that unit, subtract one from the wound roll. So that's minus one to wound against that unit, which is really interesting. Um, ethereal manipulation. Uh, this is a warp charge of seven. Uh, pick a Grey Knight's unit within six inches of the Psyker until the start of the next psychic phase. When resolving an attack made for that model, uh, made for that unit in the shooting phase against a unit that is within half range, you can reroll hits. That's kind of awesome. Rerolling oh, hits yeah. within half range. Super cool. Ethereal manipulation. It's as if we're ethereally bringing the opponent closer and dealing more whoop-ass with every shooting with, attack. Combined with... Uh... Uh, what's that jumpy ability? Gate, gate of infinity. Gate of infinity. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just get up close and blast them. Then I start blasting. Number four, uh, Edict Imperator. Edict Imperator. Um, warp charge of seven. Uh, within uh, pick a um, sorry one Grey Knight's unit within twelve inches of the psyker. That unit can shoot as if it were your shooting phase, and then move as if it were your movement phase. Though it cannot advance. That's pretty badass. So you're giving another you're giving another unit the opportunity to move and shoot in the shooting phase on a uh, warp charge value of seven. That's awesome. Um, next to last, we have Empyrean Domination. A warp charge of seven. You get a command point. Ding, 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 ding. Pretty awesome. Command points on a seven. Seven being the most common number that shows up when you roll two dice. So that's pretty badass. Um, inner Fire, Warp Charge of 5 is the last one here. If manifested, select one enemy unit within one inch of the Psyker and roll a d6 equal to the result of this Psychic Test. Wow. For each roll of 1, that Psyker suffers, this Psyker suffers one mortal wound, and for each roll of a 3-up, the enemy unit suffers one mortal oh. wound. That's kind of interesting, oh. right? Hmm. Yeah. That could kill your Psyker pretty quickly, though. <laughs> yeah, that really could. That is like the, um... Cause you don't... It's like a, oh, you... a suicide vest, right? Right, right. You know what? Um, they have an ability where I forget who gives it to them, but I think it might be a relic where they can change the facing of a die for a psychic test. If you're within six inches of that character with the relic, I can't remember what it's called. It might be a relic or a character ability, but you can change it up one or down one. Yes, that is the Artisan Nullifier Matrix, a librarian model only once per turn when a psychic test is taken for a friendly Grey Knights unit within six inches of a model with this relic. You can increase or decrease by one the value shown on the dice. That's awesome. <laughs> once per turn? Once per turn, yes. Within six inches of the relic, you can increase or decrease the value on the dice. That's badass. So so not only, you know, Voldus is a super powerful character, buffed obviously by a lot of the cool stuff in the ritual of the damned book um i like the fact that there are all these these colorful characters in the gray knights books castell and crow my personal favorite just because his his weapon is so ineffective yet when it works it really works um uh, valdus just being you know just this this big brutal psyker he is i think in the book it says his eyes are crackling with the energy of the warp so you can picture this semi-wizened Terminator-clad Grey Knight with the, uh, the blue psychic lightning shooting out of his face. Um, his model I've never been a huge fan of. I'm not a big fan of the bearded, wizened space marine heads uh, that are on some of these models, um, his included. So um, I, would, I would swap his head out for a different uh, Grey Knight's helm if possible. But a super powerful character, um, still 
uh, you know, started at the end of 7th edition, still alive and kicking here throughout 8th edition, and super common to see in Grey Knight's list, because for 153 points that I say, let me open up the ritual today one more time, 153 points, you're getting uh, 3 denies, which is really super strong. Yeah, it's pretty much auto-take any list, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, he's he's 27 points cheaper than Drago, who is 180. Castellan Crow is only 80 points, um, but his squishiness uh, speaks to that. And Brother Captain Stern, who I've never played with, is 105 points, as uh, as listed in the Ritual of the Damned Psychic Awakening book. Um, Carlo, when we were offline, you said that you had recently played uh, against Grey Knights, and Voldus did some damage against your army. What happened there? Yeah, I mean, they're, uh, those rerolls and then the the psychic ability like so all gray knights get damage to smites now so it's really easy for them to chew through my shield drones and if i don't place my models perfectly i just get eaten alive by those smites because i have no protection like if i put the riptide up front which is what happened in this game i just got i think i may have talked about it in the last podcast actually it was a game against jason a while back and he just ate two of my riptides of smites very quickly um as you had said in the last uh show that we had done, it seems like all the armies that I've been cycling through are getting buffed while I'm not playing them. So this book, as I, I get to it, I still have to get through the first three books in the series, but when I get to this book, I, I will be sure to get my Grey Knights back on the table and see what they can come up with for me with these new shenanigans that are available to them. Um, one thing worth noting, and maybe, you know, this is probably not news to anyone else except me, because I'm behind the times, Um it seems like over the course of these Psychic Awakening books, they are doing things like the Sept Tenants, like the Grey Knights now having these um, these Tides that they have access to. So these are just like additional little buffs that are changing the way the game is played ever so subtly, and in some cases not so subtly. So as mentioned here on page 66 of the Ritual of the Damned Psychic Awakening book, the Masters of the Warp gives the ability, it grants Tides of the Warp to the Grey Knights. Uh, reads here, if your unit is a Battleforged Army, units benefit from this bonus if every unit from your army has this ability, excluding Servitors. At the start of the first battle round, choose which of these Tides is currently dominant, and you can change it, as I mentioned earlier, with the first of the new Dominus uh, Psychic Abilities, Warp Shaping. So the first Tide, uh, the first Tide listed here, not necessarily the first Tide you have to pick, um, when resolving an attack made with a nemesis weapon by an infantry model with this ability, you can reroll ones. That's called Tide of Fury. Next one is Tide of Convergence. Add one to the strength and damage characteristics of psi weapons that infantry models with this ability are equipped with. That's awesome. Tide of Shadows. While dominant, a unit with this ability receives the benefit of cover to its saving throw even while it is not entirely or within a terrain feature. That's kind of nice. When resolving an attack made with a ranged weapon against a unit with this ability while it is entirely on or within a terrain, subtract one from the hit roll. Ooh, that's cool. And Tide of Escalation. Uh, when this Tide is dominant, is dominant. When a unit with this ability with the when a unit with this ability and the rights of banishment ability manifests smites, uh, its psychic power is not resisted. That wound inflicts one additional mortal wound on the target. So that's the uh, the two damage smite. Those are badass. But it seems like it seems like Games Workshop is giving, um, like for the Space Marines, they get the um, what's the word? Um, doctrines. Doctrines. Thank the, you. Yep. Th- thank you. Um, the get, uh, 
chapter tactics and yep. stuff like that. Exactly. You get that there. You get these uh, the Tau Sept tenants now, and you get these tides. Um, I wonder if this will. If these are all probably nods to the changes that are to come in the next edition of 40k. Uh, there'll probably be more of that kind of thing, or maybe a, an elimination of other things to return to a simpler state, and maybe these tides will play a more significant role, or things like these tides rather will play a more significant role in the game at that point. Yeah, I think. Uh... Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what they do with you know. There's a lot of rumors that Ninth Edition will be coming out soon, or 8.5, or whatever. And uh, a lot of people are thinking it's going to be similar to the change from Sixth to Seventh, where they just kind of kept the codexes and changed some rules here and there, or consolidated rules, or whatever. So we'll see what happens. That was a uh, future history talking about Grandmaster Voldus. We will return with from the stacks. Stay tuned. Troubled times. Let's kick it off with section four from the stacks. This is the part of the podcast where we talk about things that we are reading as a group. Unfortunately, given the fact that Nurgle has laced his plague of pestilent covidity across the planet Earth for the last week and for the foreseeable future, I may have been the only one who's currently on the air who have read this story. Is that a true statement, gentlemen? That is a true statement. Yep. How'd you know, Lavelle? Oh, man. <laughs> well, I, I, I thought you'd say. <laughs> right. And, All you right, know, so... I'm still stuck in the third Ravener book. <laughs> so, so given the fact this was like an 18-page short story, and I did read it, <laughs> given the fact that it is about a heretic chapter called The Avenging Sons, who are just about out of supplies. It's actually it's actually a very timely story to talk about right now. This is a heretic chapter that is just about out of supplies. There are glimmers of regret of having gone heretic in the first place because this band of heretical space marines is so hard up and in dire straits in the middle of nowhere. There's almost a bit of like we never should have left the emperor's light in certain scenes in this in this story. It's as if they are fleeing the Dollar General around the corner from me <laughs> at 1 o'clock on a Wednesday. Hey, let me ask some questions about the story that I should have read but didn't. Ask away. So let, let, let's, these, let's, do, let's do it that way. That's a good idea. These guys are heretics but not chaos. Really good question. So some of my favorite chaos space marines or heretic space marines are the ones that are not chaos, right? So this this band, the Avenging Sons... There is a psyker in their midst who is just now, as the story begins to unfold, becoming a servant of the chaos gods. But at this point in the tale, this is not a chaotic. These are not, these are not fully chaos space marines. These are just heretics. You know, that's a good question. These are these are just old school space marines who are around in like the fortieth the fortieth millennium, say something like that. Yeah. Okay. So they've been out there for a while. They've been, you know, roughing stuff up for a while. But there's only one of them that is just now hearing the whispers of a chaos god in his ear. And it's the Psyker, of course. Yeah. So what's cool about the story is, you know, we're starting with this kind of ragtag bunch of avenging sons. Uh, They come across 
on their way to the Eye of Terror. They know they need to make it to the Eye of Terror in order to, to kind of get out of the, 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 the fray that they've found themselves in. Um, en route to the Eye of Terror, they are just about out of supplies. Just about out of everything. And their psyker, who is just now hearing the whispers of the Chaos Gods, hears this kind of voice in his head say, you know, if you let me into your mind, I can escort you to safety. So the psyker goes to the captain of the ship, says, hey, I can, I can get us there. I can navigate the warp. The psyker, back up for a second, the psyker has played the part of the navigator for their battlecruiser. Uh, when the story starts, we're, we're in media rests of the, uh, you know, the psyker is the navigator. So the psyker says, I can get us to safety. So the captain says, great, do it. Seems a little weird. I don't know how you can do that. I don't know how you can guarantee that, but just do it. So they're all kind of in this, um, what's, the, what's the word? What's the phrase for being in a state of denial? About um, the, the I like that state of denial. Yeah, so 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 the rest of the crew is kind <laughs> of in a state of denial about this guy being a chaos uh, a servant, a servant of chaos, right? So turning a blind eye. Yeah, turning a blind eye. Exactly right. <laughs> Plausible deniability. That, that I don't think that's the right phrase, but something like that. Some whatever. Um, so this uh, this cha- this newly chaotic psyker slash navigator takes them to this imperial system where there's kind of an it's a known imperial trade route right there are rogue traders passing through here etc on their way uh, hither and thither so sure enough they come across this uh, rogue trader vessel they board the vessel the rogue trader does not know that they are heretic space marines so the the rogue trader is aghast when they try to take his cargo because the rogue trader, of course, has the imperial stamp on his document saying, you know, you can't, you can't mess with a rogue trader. They're basically like, they're, you know, they're, they're, you, don't, you just don't do that. They have a high degree of authority in and outside of the imperium. So, so this rogue trader is aghast when he realizes that these are heretic space marines no longer in the emperor's good graces, right? So he bugs out. A fight ensues. They start to loot his ship. At the same time... A Harlequin Eldar, Harlequin Eldari, Eldari war band, pirate band, kind of pulls up and is like, hey, this looks like some pretty good cargo. We'd like a piece of this action too. So now we have the rogue trader fighting in as much as a rogue trader caravan can fight. We have these heretic space marines fighting these Harlequins, and the Harlequins, you know, kind of getting in the mix with both of these groups, trying to get some of the cargo. So the Harlequin Admiral wants to parlay with the leader of this chaos, or, or this heretic warband, rather, these avenging sons. So they agree to meet. The Harlequin tells him that, uh, you know, this this fight between us is serving neither of our purposes. Let's have a conversation. So they have a conversation. And the rewards of tolerance, the, the title of the story is by Gab Thorpe. We should have said this from the get-go. The story is The Rewards of Tolerance by Gab Thorpe. It is from the Victories of the Space Marine Collection. Space Marines Collection. Um, so the, the Harlequin leader meets with this Avenging Sons captain. Harlequin leader says, listen, we're both here for something. You take what you want. We can take what we want. And the, the Avenging Sons leader says, well, we want all the cargo. And the Harlequin says, we don't care about the cargo. They're not there for the cargo. They're what there. Are they there for? They're right. there for the flesh. They're there for the people. <laughs> so this is another great moment where the this 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 heretic war band is like, you know, this is bad to let the these Xenos, you know, pirates take all these humans, but we don't really care. So that's what they do. So the Har- the Harlequins take the people, the chaos 
or a heretic warband, Avenging Sons, takes all the cargo. Meanwhile, while they are emptying the ship out, an Imperial Navy flotilla pulls up at the Mandeville point at the edge of the system. Mm-hmm. Clearly, clearly rushing in to save this rogue trader caravan from both of these parties getting what they want, right? The Harlequins see this, this, uh, this Navy flotilla coming at them. The heretic space Marines see this Navy flotilla coming at them. Quick, you take the people, we'll take the cargo, we'll get out of here. In the last two paragraphs of the book, the heretic warband has their cargo holds full of what they needed to make it safely to the Eye of Terror. The Harlequins are still loading all of the people onto their ships to take them to Emperor Knows Where. They're supposed to kind of part in peace and let the Imperial Navy only find the tatters of this rogue trader caravan left behind. But what do the heretics do? They send a torpedo into the bow of the Harlequin flagship so the Imperial Navy, quote-unquote, has something to play with when they get here. Ooh. Curtains Very. fade to black. The end. <laughs> That's classic. That's it was a classic. Great. It was great. Betrayal right It there. was really good betrayal. Exactly right. It was a really good betrayal. It was the rewards of tolerance. They tolerated just to a point the intentions of these Xenos scum, but foiled their plans at the last minute. I liked it because it had this interesting tension, and it wasn't overt, right? Gav, Gav Thorpe is a good writer. It was, it was not overt, like, oh, I wish we never would have left the Emperor's light. It wasn't that. But, <laughs> but there was just enough of their kind of a wink and a nod to the fact that we made some serious mistakes in the past. Maybe we're on the wrong path, right? <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. You know, Horus and everything. Um, and now, now they're in with this chaos psyker, who's taking them all over the place and they don't know how he's getting them to safety and whatnot but it was a good story super short another fine addition to that very inexpensive collection called the victories of the space marines and i think it's three dollars to buy it on its own totally worth reading it's a fun read interesting to see an avenging sons chapter what's nice about the the black library writers that have been at it for a while is they know how to infuse a distinct flavor into a chapter slash legion um, without it being a, you know, like a, like a first founding chapter. So right off the jump, you do get a son, a sense of who the Avenging Sons are slash were. Uh, he does sink us right into the kind of archetype of what an Avenging Son would be like as a space marine, which is kind of interesting and cool, and and I think a sign of one of the better uh, Black Library writers. Let me tell you this about that's a very good point. So, and. It's very easy if you look at 40K and the 40K universe at a surface level to just say Space Marine without really. And then it's easy after that to just go into the major foundings. But each one of the sub chapters are full of flavor and they are full of stories. And it's really, really good to see them come out. Agreed. Yeah, that's one of the things I like the best about the um uh, the latest uh, Space Marine Codex that came out, too, is that ability to um, kind of roll your own chapter tac- tactics. You know, to, to kind of do... To create one... your own flavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah to, to kind of build a narrative around a chapter that's otherwise uh, hasn't received a lot of attention in the fluff or one that you've made up on your own, you know. Anything we can do to uh, 
to liven up the narrative and therefore liven up the gameplay with stuff like that, I think is awesome. And this is a this is a good super short example of a, a writer that that knows the world well enough to know that the, he has the latitude to do that. Yeah. You know, I I told you I said I was going to stop on the second Ravener book, but I just have to see how this ends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I started the third book, and it's you know I'm, I have to say. It's it it it's starting to feel as I read through it like a, a little bit of rinse and repeat. Oh, really? Mm, that's too yeah, bad. and and some of the drama, mm. and I hate this. Some of the drama seems manufactured. Yeah, that's too bad. Is that still Abnett that writes that? Or no? I believe Ravner, um, the Ravner that I'm listening to is, uh, I believe it's Abnett. I'm not 100 percent okay. sure. It's Ravner Rogue. I think it is. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you know, Ravner is an interesting character because he doesn't really have a body. Right. Right, he's in this chair, and you know, and he uses Eldar technology. Yeah, he was seriously wounded in service to Eisenhorn, right? Right, he I was think actually he got a, burned, right? Yeah, he got yeah, burned. He's in a chair. The chair has uh, Eldar anti-grav technology, and he gives his uh, his 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 acolytes. They have these Eldar runes that facilitate him body jacking them. Yeah, he's pretty. He's a pretty powerful psyker. And I don't think at the beginning he was that much of a psyker. But apparently he went away someplace and treated with the Eldar and came back. And now now he's a, a good, you know, righteous inquisitor. He knows some things. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. He's like, I don't think I could be a, a uh, Ordo Xenos inquisitor. I'm going to yeah. have to be a male. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to change it. You guys do your thing. I'm going to need the other rosette, if you don't mind. <laughs> Hey, Tim, not, I know we're talking about literature, but listen to this. I got the new Seraphon book, and I picked up the new uh, piece of terrain, which I don't even understand how this thing is fair. Hmm. It, doesn't, it doesn't appear to cost army points. You put it down as a piece of terrain. I'm still trying to understand how, 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 how can this be right? But it, it gives a lot of buffs. I'm I'm really excited about the new codex. Does it count as an endless spell or no? It does not count as an endless spell, but it does all these other things. One of the things that the Seraphine apparently can do, I think they can take control of your endless spells. They can't take my endless spells. <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> I, I think so. I'm still reading on it. Really, really interested, and I was excited. At first I was saying, yeah, but what's it going to do? I'm really, really excited about uh, playing more, I still I still suck at it, but I still want to. The, the Seraphon now have new rules for that Slan general figure, right? Right, because you can go in one or two directions with them. They can be they can be starborn, or they can be actual people that were birthed in the birthing pools. And it, it's interesting the way that they they did it. It's 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 really good. The the starborn ones are amazing. That Slan model is just just awesome. The the, the the weird floating like frog bullfrog thing is really great. Yeah, who could do anything better than a floating bullfrog? We will take a short break and come back and wrap up this episode. Stay tuned. Welcome back, section five. Wrapping this episode up with The Chosen, as we always do, here on episode 30, Carlo, something in the hobby that you've been digging that you want to share with our listeners. What do you have for us here on this coronavirus-laced Tuesday evening? I was really hoping you were going to start with Lavelle. How come I always <laughs> go second 
Unless it's like something I don't know what I'm going to no, say. Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on a second. Let me think about this. I'll start us off. <laughs> I'll start us off. So, so as um, this episode is going to go live on March 18th, 2020, as I'm sure our listeners have discovered and learned via the internet, uh, Adepticon next week has been canceled. What I have been enjoying seeing on Facebook is um, announcements from all the companies that were going to be vendors there. Honoring their Adepticon discounts, their con pricing on their websites next week while they would have been at Adepticon. I think that's super cool. Um, for instance, Battlefoam is having a big sale. Uh, Relic Blade is selling some stuff at a discount next week. Um, so I'm kind of into the fact that, um, A, you know, everything that we're buying right now is probably going to be online for the next uh, week or so for the foreseeable future at least and here in the United States. Um so why not take advantage to support some of these smaller companies? Um, I know I called uh, my gaming store today here in Philly and asked them, I know you're closed, but are you still shipping stuff out? Even if it's just a half a mile of shipment, are you still, you know, you're still getting stuff out the door? I'd love to be able to send you some business while your retail front is closed just to keep the lights on, so to speak. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I think it's important to, you know, kind of rally around the companies that we believe in and companies we want to see weather the storm successfully by taking advantage of things like uh, shipping products and especially when they're having a sale in place of going to an event where they would otherwise have stuff at a discounted price. So what I've been doing is um, at Battle foam for instance i have my wish list going and i have a covid19 wish list now for when they start their big sale next week i can uh, fill up my cart with uh, foam to carry my new storm casts around in and uh, foam to carry the army around in that i'm painting for 40k that we're going to talk about in the next episode so that's, that's my pick of the week is all of these uh, hobby and uh, gaming supply companies offering something to the community at a, at a discount or at least trying to you know keep their lights on uh, during this uh, this challenging time for retail that we're going through uh, because of the pandemic. Lavelle, what do you have for us here um, on episode 30? You know, I, I want to say, you know, I, I never have a good selection for The Chosen. But right now, what's really exciting me more than anything is the uh, the new line of the Sisters of Battle. I've been I have not begun building anything because I want to build and paint all at the same time. But I've been collecting a lot. And some of the stuff they some of the models I'm 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 just absolutely amazed at. I can't find any other word. There's the model of um the it's a woman on the pulpit that's floating around. I'm just like, wow. Um so right now my my chosen is is probably the Sisters of Battle line and it, it, they're just beautiful models. I, I tip my hat to Games Workshops. I'm really liking what I see coming out of there. Sisters of Battle. Love it. Good stuff. Carlo, what do you have? Um, so I I had to run a couple tournaments a few weeks ago, and I had to prepare by printing out all the new mission packets that ITC had released. And I, it's a lot of paper, so it's not something I really could have done at home. So I actually went out to Staples. I didn't realize how easy it was to print stuff out over there by yourself. You could just kind of like see they have a, a self-serviced area where you email copies of what you're printing to an email that they provide to you. And then you could just, you know, print these packets out within minutes and it staples them for you all together and everything. So it's actually really that'd be my chosen, I think, for the week. So for tournament organizers, like if you're going to print stuff out and you don't have a place to print staples as a really nice setup for that. 
let, let me add a little bit on because, you know, I do a lot of stuff like that for work as well as some of the role playing things that I do. A lot of times you think you can do that at home or you can use limited resources to do it. When you go to a place like that, it's done faster with less waste, actually. And it's more organized. I really, really, I use staples a lot. But if you're not going to use staples, I, I tell you to look into any really decent copy center that allows you to actually send the work in and get it done. Agreed. Yeah, for we, sure. in our house, you know, we we have two home offices and we made the decision a while ago to stop. We got off the inkjet printer merry-go-round of like jammed ink cartridges and clogged tubes and replacement this and replacement that. And now we really do send a lot of things to Staples for printing, and it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think I've mentioned it before on the show how I once was printing, forget what it was, whether it was an FAQ or some rule book or something, I forget what it was, but I had sent a PDF to the Staples around the corner to print, and I had just opted to print in black and white because it's much less expensive, right? And I was just feeling a little lean at the time. I get there, and I had just I had paid to have it printed in black and white, stapled in the corner and just put in an envelope, right? I get there, and the gentleman behind the counter had printed it in color, spiral-bound it, clear, like, clear sheet on the front, this really great black backer board on the back. He hands it to me. I was like, wow, this is amazing. What did you do? He's like, he says, I used to play Warhammer. It's cool, man. (laughs) (laughs) Dapper So does this clear coat sheet on the front. He said. He, he said. He said those images should definitely be in color. He said, which was awesome. <laughs> Thank you for checking out episode thirty. Uh, we hope you and yours are safe and sound uh, in the face of this uh, ever increasingly complex situation that we find ourselves here in in the United States and around the world. We hope everybody's uh, having some good hobby times and uh, some good time with the family and uh, are weathering this pandemic well. For Crew Shaken, I have been Tim. I'm Lavelle. And I'm Carlo. We'll see you next episode, everybody. Stay safe. 